Hi, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. You're listening to She Said, She Said. Tenacious, dedicated, courageous, all words that you could easily use to describe Nancy Mace. She is the first woman to graduate from the Citadel in 1999. Her story and the reasons why she was compelled to attend the Citadel and to take on this incredibly daunting challenge Mm -hmm. are so inspiring. Her story is even more compelling because of the backlash she received for being one of the first to challenge the status quo and the Citadel's 150-year male-only history at the time. Nancy commemorated her experience in a terrific memoir called In the Company of Men, A Woman at the Citadel. It is absolutely terrific. I highly recommend it. She wrote the book back in 2001, but its lessons still hold true. Today, she's a successful small business owner, a state representative in South Carolina, the mother of two kids, and a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives. Nancy joins us today to talk about what her experience meant to her, how it has impacted other women, and how it impacts her journey today. Nancy, welcome to She Said, She Said. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on with you today today and tell this story. You know, um, it's uh, it's one of success and failure, right? And uh, so many people have similar stories. And so it's always a joy um, to connect with other women um, who who share some of the same experiences or something like that. So um, it's wonderful to be here, so thank you. Absolutely, well, I'm delighted to have you. Let's get right into it, and mm-hmm. I want to start with having you take us back. Yeah. The law changed requiring state schools to admit women, which yeah. is ultimately how this opportunity... It made it to the Supreme Court, actually. Yeah. Uh, the Virginia Military Institute in 1995 lost its case at the U.S. Supreme Court, and so the law of the land was changing and the Citadel decided in that same year, actually very shortly after, that they too would allow women to enter their gates. Yeah, you had to know at the time in which you contemplated Mm -hmm. attending the Citadel that there would be some backlash. Why did you want to do this? Well, to understand why, why I would do something like this, I actually have to go Back a few years when I was growing up and in high school, um, I actually dropped out of school when I was 17. And I was waiting tables at Waffle House off the side of the interstate. And um, the principal of my high school was a graduate of the Citadel. And I had 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 a few personal setbacks. And there were reasons why I wasn't going to go back to school and and um, why I had quit. And he's like, he gave me three options. And he's like, well, you can come back to school. And I said, no, it's not, I'm not doing that. You can come sit for the GED. And I heard the word test. And I said, <laughs> hell no, I'm not doing that either. And then he spoke to one of the local technical colleges where you can get an associate's degree. Um, in North Charleston and South Carolina, and um, they allowed me to to finish up my high school 
work by taking college courses. And I was actually the first student in my area that took college classes to get their high school diploma. And I actually ended up finishing and getting my diploma a year early at the age of 17 and uh, worked a lot of different jobs and learned the value of hard work at that time and learned about failure. Um, It was the first time I had ever quit something in my life. And I was a successful kid growing up. I always had straight A's, um, but had some personal challenges that totally threw me off on a different path. And I had lost confidence and faith in myself and didn't value myself at all and um, was really down on who I was and didn't feel like I had a bright future. And so I dropped out of school. Can we mm-hmm. go a little deeper? Because yeah. there's a lot to this leading up to yeah. the story of yeah. why you ultimately dropped out of school. What yeah. happened to you? This right. was a horrible, it's horrible time for you. Yeah. Um, I was assaulted when I was 16. And I talked about this um, a few months ago last year. And I, I talked with press about this issue because it came up in the national news a few times in the spring of 2019 because I came public about it. But I was assaulted and... I actually moved away for four months, five months, and when I came back and tried to get back into school, I was bullied, and I just, it was too much for a 16-year-old to handle emotionally and physically, Um, and I didn't have the courage to speak up for myself. My mom knew what was going on, but nobody else really knew, and, you know, as women, when this happens to us, we don't speak up. We don't report it. We don't talk about it because of the backlash, the fear, the embarrassment. I was horrified. I was humiliated. I was hurt physically and emotionally, and women that do come forward are often attacked for coming forward, and back in those days, you just didn't. Um, my mom knew, my best friend knew, and that was pretty much it. And so when I did come back to school and then being bullied on top of it, I just said, time out, I quit. I'm completely done here. And um, started waiting tables at Waffle House, learning the value of hard work. I used to stand on a piece of duct tape 12 inches wide and yell to the cooks in the back how my customers wanted their hash browns. Smothered, covered, and chunked. Wore the uniform, the bonnet, everything. I loved working at the Waffle House. I met so many people from so many walks of life. Uh, so many, you know, rich and poor, middle class, you name it. Everybody loves the Waffle House. The coffee's good. Um, and now you can get your hash browns spiced with jalapenos, and they're super <laughs> hot. Um, but it's a great place to meet people and get to know your community. Yeah. And I did that. For so many people, mm-hmm. that would have been the end of the road. That is not true of your story. What was the process that you went through to recover and get yourself back on track? Yeah. So I had to take, I mean, a solid year off. Um, I went and I took college courses. I had several different jobs um, after I re- got my high school diploma and was trying to figure out what I wanted for my future. Um, working very hard, working seven days a week, going to school at night and on the weekends. And that was in 1995 when I had dropped out of school. Then in 1996, um, the Citadel decided to admit women. Mm-hmm. And the principal of my high school, the man who I I credit with saving my life and allowing me to get my high school diploma. He had a big influence on my life and inspiration, but my father was also a graduate of the Citadel. And I had felt like up until that point in 1996 that um, even though these circumstances were not of my own fault, I blamed myself and I felt like I was a failure, that this was my fault and quitting school and everything else that came with that. I had something to prove to myself. 
I don't consider myself a feminist. Like I didn't go to the Citadel to, to prove a point, to be the first female to graduate from there. I went because I had a personal journey. I had something to prove personally to myself. I had let my family down. Um, I let my father down, I felt like. And so for me, going there, following in his footsteps, going and being challenged like that, I get emotional when I think about it. But I knew that that kind of experience could help fix me if I allowed it to. And going into a place where you could be challenged, where you could face adversity head on, some of the toughest adversity that an 18-year-old can face and not quit. That is the only reason I went to the Citadel because I had something to prove that I could be challenged and I would not quit on myself. Your father Mm -hmm. was not only a graduate of the Citadel, but he is, certainly was, and I think still is, the most decorated combat veteran from the Vietnam era for sure. And maybe beyond that. But in the history of the Citadel, he's the the most decorated living graduate. He's a big deal. He's a Brigadier General, J. Emery Mace. Yeah. These are very big shoes yes. to 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 fill. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine. Talk, we'll talk about yeah how that impacted you emotionally, thinking about yeah. him and his legacy. Yeah. Well, he had such. He was such a big success, huge success militarily. He had faced three tours of combat, two in Vietnam. The most decorated graduate of the Citadel. They were big shoes to fill, and so. A couple of my brothers and sisters were valedictorians in high school. They went to West Point. You're one of three? I'm four. one of four. One of four. I wasn't that. I was not that student. I work really hard. So I approach things differently. But I had, you know, I wanted uh, to prove that I could do something well, that I could do good um, and make a difference in my life because I had failed. I'd quit school and felt like a failure up until that point. So he really had an enormous influence on my life because I wanted to make him proud of me. And that is the reason, one of the reasons that I went to the Citadel to follow in his footsteps to try and and rebuild my life and make it good again. Yeah, you write in the book, mm-hmm. obviously you talk a lot about the backlash and I wanna get into to a yeah. bit more of that in more yeah. detail. But you also talk about the fact that your parents weren't necessarily keen, just like the rest of the community, on mm-hmm. having women at the Citadel. No. So what was their reaction when you came to them and said, hey, yeah. guess well, what? They, well, they were against women at the Citadel. And I was for a time, too, because if you look at education policy or education in this country, there is a place for single gender education, both for women and for men. There's value there. But then on the other hand, if you're receiving federal or state subsidies and government funding, you can't preclude people regardless of race, sexual orientation, or gender, obviously. And that was decided in the 90s. And so those kinds of institutions have to be done and privatized. But um, so they were both against women. So when I applied, when I heard, it was a Wednesday night that the school had decided to announce they were going to admit women to the Citadel. It was a Wednesday night. I was watching the news. And Thursday the next day, I called in sick to work. And I drove down to the campus because I was local to Charleston. I drove down to campus and picked up a paper application. They were done in paper, not the internet (laughs) back in those days. Microsoft Word was still very new. This was 1996? 1996, yeah. A lot of people had the internet, but I mean, it was still very new. And so um, then I turned it in on Friday. And then Monday, the immediate Monday following, the school called me and said I had been tentatively accepted. The only problem with this plan that I had hatched is that I had not told my parents because they were against women going to the Citadel and I hadn't talked to them about it and, you know, thought they might 
not be too happy with me, but my mom was my best friend because she and I had been through so much the last couple of years. And so the first person I told obviously was her. I was afraid to tell my father. And so the first thing she said to me was, hey, Nancy, you need to have a conversation with your dad. And it took me about a week to get up the courage to go and have this conversation with my father because mm-hmm. I was afraid of how he might react or what he would say or discourage me. I had made the dis- this decision. I was all in no matter what. I needed this. And um, he obviously said, gave me a list of reasons why I wouldn't want to go there. It would be tough. It would be challenging. I was going to cry. I was going to want to quit. I was going to get yelled at. I was going to be harassed. All these different things. And I was 18 at that point in time. And like, what does an 18-year-old know? Everything, right? So I, <laughs> I came back with a punch. And I said, well, these are all the reasons why I want to go. And I want to be challenged. I want to, you know, I have a learning disability. So I want to be in a small campus with small classrooms because I felt like I could be academically more successful rather than going to a, a big university where parties are a problem and big classrooms with hundreds of students. I wanted to have a meaningful, more meaningful experience in college and not be tempted by those vices too. And so that was in the summer of 1996. We had like a few weeks to get ready. And because my dad was a grad, I would ask him, what's it going to be like? What's hell week going to be like? What am I going to see? What are they going to say? And he would just laugh at me. I wouldn't share because he wanted me to learn on my own. He didn't want to help. But you had a pretty good uh, set of expectations in terms of what was going to happen, sort of what the process was for initiating, for lack of a better term, new cadets to the Citadel. But perhaps what you might not have anticipated was the level of backlash more broadly. Right. Yeah. And in the community, too. And it wasn't so much like alumni that were the backlash. It was. And I learned for the first time in my life, and I'm sure you hear about this all the time on your program, but the women that could be moms, girlfriends, wives, women were much uglier to us um, in public when we were out and about as cadets than any men or alumni were towards us and I learned for the first time that women we do this thing where we beat up on each other we are our own worst enemy rather than helping we hurt and I'm not really I'm still not sure why we we do that Mm -hmm. Um, insecurities might play into that a little bit but um, the harassment particularly by women outside of the Citadel campus was some of the worst I've ever seen um, and of course, stuff would happen on campus and the cadets, this is culturally, when you change a culture, it doesn't happen in one night. It doesn't happen in one day or one week. It takes years and it can take decades. And so I understood that. And so my, my whole point was to not um, segregate myself. I wanted to integrate as much with the men as possible. So I physically fit, I had to be the best. When we had our first PT test in my battalion, I beat all but four guys on our first PT test. And that was a standard that was consistent male and female, right? No, we had different standards. You had different standards. Yeah, so I never com- I never held myself to the female standards. You held yourself to the male standards. I he- held myself to the male standards because I felt like being in the first class of women, there were four of us, two dropped out and there were two left. Ratio of men to women was like 900 to one. But I felt like, you know, we had to work twice as hard 
to be seen as an equal. Mm-hmm. I was smart enough. I knew going in that I was going to have to work harder. So I held myself to that standard. And that first test, three days into Hell Week, really set the bar. It set the tone. It said, hey, I'm here. I'm serious. I'm going to work just as hard as you do. Even though my standards are different, I'm going to be just as as good as you are. And I'm going to work harder and I'm going to earn your respect. I don't deserve it, but I'm going to earn it. And again, like as a woman, I learned these things. It's weird. I learned these things in these this all-male environment. But sometimes we have to work twice as hard mm-hmm. to be seen as an equal or sure. to get a seat at the table, which is a great lesson to learn at 18 because it's relevant in corporate and the private sector, whatever you are and doing. Politics. In politics. But we face this every single day. I learned that at a very young age, and it's been with me ever since, and it's really had a positive impact because I recognize that. Our challenges are different. Some of the interesting things that you talk about in the book, which are fascinating, you know, because you were one of the first to ultimately enroll at the Citadel, the uniforms were made for men, not for women. They hadn't necessarily thought through all the elements of the haircut or the buzz cut and sort of what that would entail. Talk about those first few days and what that experience was like. You're sitting here and and folks will look at the show notes and see these amazing pictures. You've got all this great hair, but that was not the case then. They took all but an inch of it on the first, (laughs) on the very first day. And it took me, it took me a week to look in the mirror and I realized, I said, oh my gosh, I'm the spitting image of my brother now. <laughs> and I was 110 pounds when I went in. And because the it's so physically rigorous and they don't give you a lot of time to eat back in those days, I lost like 20 pounds in the first two or three months probably. And I was, you know, very thin and I looked like a teenage boy basically. And I would go into restrooms um, on campus even or in public when we had leave and uh, I would be asked to leave the women's restroom because they thought I was a male cadet. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm really a girl. I'm really female. I'm, you know, I'm going to use the bathroom. <laughs> I'm not going to the men's bathroom <laughs> ever. So, um, but those, those were different challenges. Mm-hmm. And uh, they take your identity away and then they build it back up is the point of all of that. And to, to, to also humble you through the experience. But again, none of my, the male cadets were ever mistaken for a woman. And, you know, it just... It's a different dynamic. It's interesting. And it really does humble you. Yeah. And it teaches you a little bit about patience because it takes forever to grow it out. You know, but eventually you can grow it out and, it, and it's fine. But um, they don't cut the women's hair there anymore. I would never change that experience. I mean, as much as you hate it, you love it because of, of what it, the values it teaches you about yourself. Um, you learn your best and worst character traits when you are under those kind of experiences when you go through that. Talk about what you learned about yourself and maybe what surprised you. I learned that I am not very patient. Um, I want it fast. I want it now. I, I have to win everything. I'm very competitive. But that experience, the two biggest takeaways for me would be having courage, what that means, and confidence. And when I talk about courage, it's really having the courage to speak up for yourself, having the courage when you see something wrong, not only to speak up for yourself, but to speak up for others and what that means, because there are consequences to every action, good and bad. But most times, every time 
you should speak out. And I learned that as women, we don't speak up very much. We don't speak out very much. Even in a boardroom, I see it. Or in politics, if I go into a caucus meeting, I'm often the only woman that has her hand up to either say something or ask a question. And um, having that courage to be able to do that um, is an enormous life lesson that I think everybody can learn. But also of equal value is confidence. Having confidence, no matter what you're doing, whether you're in school or your work, whatever, if you're not confident in who you are, no one around you is going to be confident in you. And so that starts with you looking in the mirror and telling yourself that you believe in yourself, setting a goal and making it happen. Do or die, get it done. And um, even in my adult life, I've seen it where I have, I've had periods of life where I was not confident. And I go back and I look and I say, this is why I was not successful. This is why I failed because I've had as much failure as I've had success in life. And I go back and oftentimes it has to do with that lack of confidence. And uh, as I've gotten older, I've gotten wiser, trying to teach my children, my daughter especially too, those values, having courage, but more so having confidence. If you believe in, in you, everybody else will believe in you too. And the world you know, can be your oyster. We literally can do anything that we want. Um, you just have to grab the bull by the horns and go for it and don't let anybody or anything ever get in your way. And so that has had enormous value in my life personally, professionally, of course, just getting it done. Yeah. You know, I took away another element, which you kind of touch on in what you just said from your story. And that is doing hard things and taking risks is Mm -hmm. exactly what builds your confidence. And the more you do it, the more confident you become and it makes you braver in order to take those risks. Claire Shipman and Caddy Kay talk about this in that great book, The Confidence Code. And Claire Mm -hmm. was on the podcast a year or so ago talking about that. You are the embodiment of Mm -hmm. this notion of doing hard stuff over and over and over again and the impact that that has on your confidence. Yeah, it really does. And making you feel brave. Yeah, it does. And if, you know, we have to do it so other women will then do it too. Um, And so you've got to be the one. You've got to be the one. As if the challenge of of going to the Citadel were not difficult enough Mm -hmm. with all of this other stuff, your father ultimately became the commandant while you were there. And while people Mm. might say, oh gosh, I bet that was helpful. Well, not so much as you write about in the book. Maybe talk a little bit about (laughs) what that was like and why that was so problematic. So the commandant at the Citadel is essentially in charge of the military side of things. And so it's kind of like having a principal at your high school. And, you know, some people will allege hey I had it easy because my father worked there well he he didn't start till you know almost halfway through my experience there but he didn't even tell me he took the job when he was when he was offered it and uh, it actually made it tougher because he made a lot of changes to the institution to the college when he was there um, that weren't there before and in, and in many ways in my opinion personally and I'm biased but he made it tougher and Tougher when, in what respect? Physically. So when I entered, only only freshman cadets could, uh, freshman cadets couldn't even be dropped for push-ups. Mm. Only freshman cadets had to PT, and, and so it's a military college. Every class should have to be there. Should be P, those kind of PT requirements because it builds camaraderie. Sure. And 
I mean, you should be able to be dropped for push-ups. But one of the things like, like my father did, he, re, uh, he reinstated that. But he made it so that the leadership, if you were going to drop a cadet for push-ups, you had to drop with them. And so it's that idea that you don't ever ask someone to do something you yourself would be unwilling to do. And the, the, that value comes in handy whether you're in the military or in corporate. It's a leadership quality. It's mm-hmm. teaching leadership. It's just those small parts can make a big difference. But when he made those changes, a lot of people got upset. And they took it out on me. Mm. It made the experience You're an easier target. <laughs> Much, and even today, 20 years later, I'm just like, oh, geez, here we go again. Every, someone will say, oh, well, she, she got in because of her dad. Well, no, my, he actually had nothing to do with it. Didn't even know I was applying. I did to him what he did to me. And now I'm talking to you for the first time. I was like, maybe that was payback. Um, and I remember one time he told me that he'd been asked for that job three times and he turned it down. And I, and I told him, I said, well, I think you'd be really good at it because there needs to there needs to be some changes and needs to be a little tougher and and um, going into it. And so he accepted it without telling me. Remember one time, I remember one time at lunch later that year when they announced the new commandant, who happened to be my father. And I was like, oh my gosh, he took the job, didn't tell me. I ran back to my room and it was second semester. So we had phones, we had landlines back then. My kids don't even know what a landline is. <laughs> but my phone was ringing and I picked it up and it was my father on the other end. And he asked me, how was lunch? And he started laughing. This is the same man that when he <laughs> dropped me off at the Citadel in 1996 as one of four women to enter a school of 2000, shook my hand and said, Nancy, don't call home if you want to quit. Just put on your shoes and start walking. So he really taught me the value of independence, earning respect, earning success through your hard work. Mm-hmm. Can't be up to somebody else. It's got to be up to you. Your father... It goes without saying, he's a really tough guy. Yeah. <laughs> you tell very. these great stories, but you also say that at the point in which you graduated, yeah. he was the one to hand you your diploma, and it was, was the first time you saw him tear up. Yeah, it's the first time in my life I'd ever seen the man cry. And uh, I finally, I'll cry talking about it, mm-hmm. but I finally felt like I made him proud. Finally. So uh, it was a special moment, and we carry that special bond forever. So it was a pretty amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. Really beautiful. Thinking mm-hmm. about the fact that you were surrounded by predominantly men, you mm-hmm. had three other women who entered at the same time that you did, as I recall. So there were four of you in this 1996 yeah. class. Only two of you made ended it. up finishing. Mm-hmm. But you're surrounded by men. So as you think about the ways in which women encounter obstacles, and let me give you a specific example. They were yelling at you all the time. Now, that's part of the yeah, process. Part of the you, experience. You know that. Yeah. But it's mean. <laughs> they it call you names. What did you take away from the experience that really showed that differences between men and women and how they responded to criticism, you know, harshness, harsh words, yeah. name calling? Well, I, I learned we can be we can be bitches though. I mean, we can really <laughs> I mean, we can really turn it on too. But what I learned in that experience is, you know, I was tough and I wanted the women behind me to have the same tough experiences that I did. They deserve to go through what I went through. And I learned some very deep stuff, which was we're tougher on each other. And I found myself, I wouldn't yell because I have a very high voice. When I, The more I yell, the higher pitch it gets. It's <laughs> like a bird chirping. And so yelling wasn't my thing. But I would talk in a very low, calm, slow voice. And um, 
I was harder and tougher on the women that came behind me than I was with the men. And I, you know, it was a lesson I had to learn at a young age because my first boss out of college was a woman and I recognized it immediately. She did the same thing for the women who worked for her. Mm. And I had to learn quickly not to do that and that it's not kind and that we need to be supportive of each other. I have seen it in corporate. I've seen it in commercial real estate. I have found myself working in these predominantly male industries for whatever reason, um, and I see it in politics. We are our own worst enemy, and it's been done to me. I've done it, but I recognize that at an early age, I've done it less because I know when it's happening, Mm -hmm. and so... When I decided to run for Congress, I hired a qualified female campaign manager because I want to give opportunities to women who've worked for it, who've earned it, and want it because so few of those opportunities come across, yeah. right? And so it's our duty. We have a duty to to help others who want to come in behind us, right? And so we need to lift each other up. Yeah. Let's talk about your decision to pursue mm-hmm. elected office. Yeah. Um, this is yet another risk. A lot of women don't take this risk. That's part of the challenge that we, we talk have a lot, a lot of responsibilities. About. A lot of responsibilities. Yeah. That's right. At and home you and have at work. Children. And, yep. And you're working. You're running a business and doing all of these things. So, yeah. what made you decide to jump in? Why was running for office? Important? And I'm a single mom too, ah. and I work two jobs to provide for my children and everything. But. You know, um, I think a lot of us, regardless of your party affiliation, who Republican or Democrat or independent, a lot of us, I feel, are fed up with what we see going on. It's a lot of BS. And I just want to see something get done. I'm not a big ideas kind of person, but if we don't run, we can't win. And we don't get a seat at the table. And so in order for us to start winning more, getting more seats, whether it's county council, city council, state assemblies like I'm in right now, the the state house, now I'm running for the U.S. house. If we don't run, we're never going to win and we're never going to have a seat at the table. And I want to make a difference. I'm not like a big ideas person. I think that there are small things we can do to make a big difference in someone's life, whether it's at the state level, local level, or national level. We've got to get back to working together. And I have a conservative voting record, but everything I work on legislatively, I I don't do anything without the support of, of the, par- the opposite party. I work across the aisle with Democrats because I feel like that is missing everywhere you turn. And people just want to see us get something done. They say want to see us work. And half of what you do is legislative, but the other half is how do you serve your community? So for example, I write a lot of bills. I've passed legislation. I've amended legislation that's passed. A lot of it has to do with women's issues. Ironically, it's because I think I've got a lot of experience in that. But So I had a, a mother call me this summer, and her adult daughter was diagnosed with breast cancer. And the adult daughter does not live in my district. And she was diagnosed with lateral breast cancer on one side, and the insurance company was not going to cover the bilateral procedure to remove both breasts. She didn't know what to do. She was very upset. Her surgical team, cancer team, oncologist, everybody had said, you know, you need to remove both breasts, but because the the young woman hadn't had the BRCA test, the genetic test, before she was diagnosed with breast cancer, insurance wasn't going to cover it. I don't know where to get the BRCA test as a woman. I don't know how much it costs. I didn't know insurance companies have a policy of not covering you if you haven't had it done before you get diagnosed with breast cancer. And I said, I can't make any promises, but let me make a phone call. 
I knew a guy, I knew a guy at the insurance company, the medical team re-reviewed the file and got a call a few hours later, they were gonna cover the procedure 100%. I can't do that for every one, but that one person that I was able to do it for made my year. And so it's really about what can I do to serve my community that I grew up in, that I'm raising my family in, that I'm working in, what can I do to make a difference? And I've been in business for 20 years and this is an opportunity and a way for me to give back to the people that I grew up with because I wouldn't be anywhere where I am today had I not had a community support me. So it's my turn to support them. So you're the mother of two. Yeah. What do you say to them about your experience? What do you hope they will take away from the impact that you've had, the example that you've set? How do you guys talk about that? I'm very frank with them, like I am with you and with everybody. I don't write speeches. I don't do talking points. It's just I'm very direct and frank with my children and self-deprecating. And I tell jokes. I When when I have them, they come out with me on the campaign trail. Are they boys, girls? I have one of each. One of each. Teenager and an elementary student who, who's about to be in middle school. Um, but it's an opportunity for me to teach them about government and how it works. And they'll go on the campaign trail. My daughter, if she weren't in school right now, she'd be here running the show. Um, She loves to put on my campaign t-shirts and take bumper stickers out and give it to them. They like knocking on doors, but they want to get paid when they do it. They they try to, you know, negotiate a labor contract and I give them a dollar a door. And I said, no, but you can get a quarter. And so I'm about business and incentivizing people. um, But it's part of my life. It's a big part of my life. It's what I love to do. And I do commercial real estate, but this is, I love doing this. It gives me pers- this gives me purpose and drive and my children see it. And so they love it too. And I involve them as much as I can in everything that I do that way. Their spring breaks are usually filled with going to the state capitol and working with me, sitting through judiciary committee hearings, being on the floor, filing. I, I've had them file legislation for me. I mean, you know, making them as much a part of the process as possible so that they'll love it as much as I do. Yeah, it's a it's a such an important example, certainly for your daughter, for obvious yeah. reasons, but perhaps even or as much so for your son yeah. who sees this yes. powerful woman taking yes. charge and learns what it's like from your standpoint yes. as his mom yes. to tackle these challenges. Yes, and it's good for him so one day he can be supportive of a strong woman in his life. Absolutely. When he has daughters or gets married and everything else. So it's really important, I think, for us to set those examples too. And when you fail, have those conversations because my children know I was not the perfect daughter growing up. I was not the perfect wife. And I mean, to their chagrin, I'm not the perfect mom either. And so we're very frank and we have those conversations, but it's about learning from each other. And, you know, as much as they, I hope that they learn from me, I learn Mm -hmm. from them too. And I don't think they realize that yet. They're still very young, but our children influence and inspire us every single day. And that's why I, another reason I got involved in politics, because I want to make their future better and brighter and for them, but also for everyone else in our community, every other family that's out there working hard. We have a lot of issues that, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, that we need to fix, healthcare being one of them. That that impacts our children, our families, education is another. Um, And so, you know, these are areas where we can all work together because the goal is the same, our approaches might be different, but our goal at the end of the day is always gonna be together and be the same. So that's where I see it. Yeah. 
What advice do you have for women? Obviously, you've encountered a number of setbacks in yeah. your life and have recovered from them. Mm -hmm. But can you talk a bit more tactically about what was the toolkit that you that you relied on? Was it faith? Was it journaling? Was it what was it mm -hmm. that helped you put the pieces back together? How did you do that? Yeah, well, in in my younger years when I was going through that, um, it took some time, but my, I. I became faithful um, probably around, you know, 19 or 20. And then I went into corporate America and then got off track again. When I went through my divorce last year, um, my children came to me one day and they said, hey, mommy, we're Christian. We believe in Jesus, but we want to learn more. Will you take us to church? We hadn't been to church in a very, very long time, probably years, except for a Christmas service. And so they needed that. And when I saw that, I said, well, maybe I need it too. And so we're trying to, we're, we're finding our way back together. And they've inspired me. And I remember when um, it was last year, it was our first time back in church in a very long time. And um, I hadn't been real religious over the years, but the great pastor, he was pastoring on uh, John 6, Jeremiah 6, 16, and uh, it was about being at a crossroads in your life. And my divorce was almost final. I was uh, making a decision to run for higher office or not, and I'm sitting there in a puddle of tears, and my, my son next to me worried, like, what is wrong with you, Mom? <laughs> um, but it struck my my heart so deep and the reason I was in church that day is because my kids had asked me to take them and so um you know they inspire me and have gotten me where I uh, where I need to be too I mean it's a, it's a life is a great experience and I am you know I just love having them in my life to help guide me too yeah yeah absolutely yeah it's beautiful so you are, you've, you've mentioned this, uh, the fact that you are a state representative currently, you're running for the U.S. House. You are part of a self-described squad, if you will, yeah. kind of the counterpoint to yeah. an existing Democratic squad. And you guys are an example of the importance of trying to achieve political parity. Talk a little yeah. bit about that experience and how your counterparts who are running and you guys seem to be pretty tightly bonded in yeah. this experience talk about that relationship with these other women yeah well there are 170 women who are republican running for congress and if you look at the midterms in 2018 we didn't do a great job of 100 women that ran one one and that was carol miller out of west virginia who's right. Uh, who's got a Citadel connection too? Oh, really? Yeah, and her family. Uh, we're everywhere. I swear, we are everywhere. <laughs> but um, but we were able to come together and sort of be the antidote to some of the things we're seeing on the not the center left, but the far left. The this influence of socialism, and I, you know, I talk to a lot of women that might even be CEOs or executives, and and they have earned their success through their work, often on their own. And while they might be Democrat or Republican or independent, they understand, everybody understands that people want to earn their success through their work. And we have, our country was founded with, with freedom. And when you're free, the country, the economy can be prosperous. And, and so just, it goes both ways. So the pendulum swings both ways, can be both extremes, but just getting back to those values. And as a mom, you know, seven years ago, I wasn't worried. 
about my children's future. But when you talk about socialism and what comes after that, and you look at countries that have it, and most of them, they're, they're not Venezuela, for example, that's not a bright future. And the economy right now is so great. Wages are, I mean, where I am in Charleston, it's 1.86% unemployment right now. And I talked to a few franchise, uh, quick service, fast food franchise owners, and they're not paying minimum wage of $8 an hour. They're paying 15 and getting ready to increase to $20 an hour. And so seeing the success of, of good policy and running with it, because those are the things that will continue to allow us to prosper. I'm one of many single moms out there. I work two jobs to make everything work because I am a legislator and that pays like 10 grand a year in South Carolina. So I have to work two jobs. But but, but women who work and even women who are at home and whose husbands work, I mean, we all understand that, you know, a free market freedom means prosperity for all of us. So it's trying to be the antidote to the to socialism that's trying to spread like a wildfire fast and furious here. One last question. Yes. We ask everyone who comes yes. on She Said, She Said for a single piece of advice, a life hack, a mantra. Maybe it's something that's your North Star that you tell yourself. Maybe it's something you tell your kids or you tell other young women. What would yours be? Nothing beats the value of hard work. I don't care how smart you are. If you can't be in the trenches and work hard, it's never going to happen. And take that passion, find it, and work like hell, and you're going to win every single time. Nancy, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you too. Loved this. This yeah. was really no, great. No, good. I have one thing I want to add. Yeah. I forgot yeah. to say, yeah. which might your audience might like. South Carolina has never had a Republican woman elected to Congress, ever. Yeah. So this would make history. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Best of luck. Yeah. Thank to you. you. Thank really you. great to yeah. have you. To learn more about Nancy Mace, check out the show notes for this episode. I also urge you to download and read her book. It is fantastic. I'll include more of Nancy's bio as well as a few photos from our visit today. And remember, if you're enjoying She Said, She Said, please share it with others who you think would benefit from these inspiring conversations with real women like Nancy who have faced real challenges and who are willing to talk to you about them in a very real and candid way. Most of all, to our listeners, thank you for listening and for being part of this growing She Said, She Said network of amazing, inspiring women.